joining me on this episode of the Idea Sharing Project is Adi Birrell. Adi Birrell is a former head coach for Ireland, the first coach to take them to the World Cup. He's also a former Proteas assistant head coach and is currently the head coach at Hampshire County Cricket Club, where he's the head coach. Um, Adi, thank you for joining me on the Idea Sharing Project. No, no problem. Thank you no. for having me. Thank you. Um, Adi, I think um, I left out quite a bit of your resume as I was introducing you. You have played cricket previously. And I think one of the things that I saw when I was trying to do a little bit of a quick investigation was that um, you felt that at some point in your career, you didn't get enough opportunities to play. I didn't get enough opportunities to play. I think it was something like that. There was an article from Beckham. Yeah, I, think, I think my career, I mean, um, you know, I, I sort of stumbled onto coaching at a young age. And so um, I was coaching from, you know, during my playing days. In those days, you couldn't earn enough from cricket to just play cricket. So everyone had other jobs. And my other job was coaching. And so I sort of, gravitated to coaching more than playing. Um, but, I, you know, I continued playing. But I was always a fringe player. I was never any great shakes. Uh, uh, it's probably the best thing I could do was go into coaching because I'm, I'm still coaching. And uh, <laughs> I wouldn't have had a long career playing. <laughs> um, so at what age did you uh, start coaching? About 24, I think. Um yeah, I started coaching. Uh, it, it was a um, it was a very forward-thinking politician in those days. It was sort of before the night before 1990, before unity took place, and uh, uh, because of my ability to speak closer, uh, I was sort of asked to coach in the townships. So I spent about nine years in the Port Elizabeth co- uh, townships coaching. And, um, yeah, so I started from a very young age coaching. So I was a young, a young guy and, uh, you know, I was, I was coaching mainly in the townships. And then from there, it went to Eastern province underage teams and slowly built my way up. But, uh, you know, my, my, my grounding is township cricket action. Mm, and how was the experience, you know, coaching in the township? Well, just, uh, you know, it was it was very difficult at the time because obviously the politics, you know, of the country was at a knife edge, and you know it was a little bit before 1990. I sort of started full time January 1986, so the last four years, and then into unity was also a tricky time because two different parties, you know, boards came together to play as one, and it was you know it was a a fantastic time, but also a very trying time. And so, you know, you learn how to negotiate and it's not all about cricket and it's about personalities, about dealing with people. Uh, and it's about logistics, you know, about how to get teams to play cricket where there's no cricket facilities. You know, it was a difficult time. So it was not just coaching. It was, you know, it was about organizing facilities, organizing kit uh, and 
you know, obviously dealing with a very, a very difficult situation that the country was in at that at that time. And uh, this difficult period, how do you feel it shaped you as as a coach uh, after moving on from from then? Well, I think it, it taught me how to deal with people. You know how to. Uh, man management, they call it now. It's just, it's just people management, really. <laughs> um, and, you know, that's, you know, I as a head coach, you coach, but you don't, you're not really a coach. You, you're a manager almost. You're a manager of people. So my, you know, where, you know, where I am coaching now, it's about selection. It's about team tactics. It's about looking at the conditions and the opposition and coming up with a plan to try and win a cricket match. Um, it's not about, you know, whether the guy's hands are, you know, in the right place playing a certain stroke, you know, yeah. or the grip on the cricket ball. You know, it's, 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 more, it's more strategic than it is technical. And um, so, yeah, I'm very fortunate that I've done the whole spectrum of coaching. And, you know, this is where I'm at now, which would be a strategic kind of uh job but I, I always refer back to the nine years in the townships where i really had a good grounding because it wasn't easy and uh, you know it was it was teaching you that cricket's not just about throwing a ball at a batsman and hitting you know letting him play it's there's a lot more to it because he needs a bat and you need balls and you need pads and you need facilities and you know and so uh you know, the the job I was doing was to try and, uh, you know, get the, all of those put together before you even have a team. So it was it was the full the full um, uh, sort of cross reference of cricket, uh, which was taught to me in those first years of coaching. And um, uh, as I was reading up, um, I saw that when you took over with Ireland in the notice, uh, there's a phrase that caught my eye that was attributed to you that you were leaving no stone unturned as you were building the team. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a common term, you know, used in a lot of, a lot of sports and a lot of businesses, you know, and just to try and do whatever's possible to try and get your team to perform at the highest level that they possibly can. And so it was making sure that we would do everything possible and think of ways, you know, um, you know, I also called it uh, um, the one percenter theory of innovation of, of doing small things that might make a difference, but they also might not. But if you do enough of those small things, uh, then you do get an advantage over your opposition. And so it was all the time is thinking about what you, what you can do with your team that other teams might not be doing, and so you get a, and you get a strategic advantage by doing that. I think. And uh, one of the things that I I like talking about a lot is is culture, team culture, and and um, what is your approach when it comes to that? Yeah, um, you know. Uh, Team culture is like a sort of modern buzzword about uh, 
you know, teamwork, really. You know, it's about, <laughs> uh, you know, they just put new names to it, but it's sort of old-fashioned teamwork. How do you get team culture and what's behind it? It's about having certain parameters that the team will play, you know, will, will play to. And it's about having a team identity and it's about having team goals and it's about having uh, a, a sort of unified way of, of, of how you would play and your discipline in the team. And, but there's, you know, in all teams that, that, uh, that are high performing teams would all have a, a higher purpose that they would play for. There's something bigger than just the team. They'd be playing for a certain, uh, for sort of maybe some history or they would be playing for a cause. But there's got to be a higher purpose of, of trying to, you know, of, of, of what is behind the culture in the team. And so I think, you know, identifying what that is. Uh, in our case, it's Hampshire hasn't won a, um, a, a county championship since 1973. And so it's, you know, there's a higher purpose in that. It's been a hell of a long time before they've, you know, uh, since they last won a championship. And so, uh, you know, that higher purpose is to try and get another one, uh, you know, and not, and, and, and try and do something that other teams haven't done over the last almost 50 years. Almost, uh, You know, it's incredible that it was Barry Richards and Gordon Greenwich that won the championship for Hampshire in those days and it hasn't been done since. And so all the time you're talking about the history and what a great uh, legacy that you could leave by winning something like that. And that sort of is driving the culture, is to play for something bigger than just trying to win a game of cricket. And... I you you mentioned identity you know um can you explain the importance of having a good vibrant team identity well it's uh, it's very important because you got to you know you got to play to a certain way uh you got to you know you got to have a, a a certain uh if you look at a team uh and uh and you see how they play, you'd say, and they didn't have uniforms, you'd say, oh, well, that's this team, you know, that well, that team. And uh, and it's a way of playing that's different to others. Uh, and it's very difficult to achieve because we're all playing the same game. There's 11 players on each side and, you you know, you're trying to make more runs than the other team. Um, so it's, it's a difficult one to achieve, but you try and get a certain way of playing that suits your team. So you look at your strengths and weaknesses and you'll come up with a pattern of play. You could call it a pattern of play, but um, it's a way of, 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 of playing in a certain way that is to the benefit of your strengths. And, um, you know, um, one of the things that I'm thinking of right now is you have coached through the different stages but they have also been different uh in terms of culture you know societal culture from the townships to the national teams and then right now with hampshire in the uk 
it's all different societies that you're coaching in. Um, uh, how do you merge all that to help you in your coaching? Is there any culture shock or it's just seamless for you? No, I think, uh, you know, by living in South Africa, as I've done my whole life, um, you know, um, it's a great example of tolerance because of our history and our different cultures. And I think as South Africans, we're very in tune with different people. And in our, I wouldn't say it's a, a long history of this, but certainly since 1990, we are a lot more tolerant of each other's cultures, of each other's races, of each other's religions. And so there's, you know, uh, I think it teaches us that tolerance that is very important. And so coming to the UK, um, we can actually lead it where I've got a, a Muhammad Abbas who's a, a Muslim guy who's from Pakistan and he's playing for Hampshire. And we as South Africans are more in tune with his culture and what, you know, and and Ramadan and Eid, which is now about, you know, on Wednesday, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday this week. Um, it's, I mean, Wednesday and Thursday this week. And we can actually teach the the other people to be more interested in each other's in, in each other's religions and, and cultures. And I think we we almost taught that by being South Africans. And it's it's a great advantage because, you know, I don't think people in Europe have that same tolerance that we have and interest in each other's uh, in each other's differences. And I think, you know, we always hear in South Africa, you know, diversity is strength uh, or a team strength is in its diversity. And so uh, I think, we are able to use that and I'm able to teach that we are, you know, in other areas that I coach or other, uh, or other, uh, um, countries that I've coached in. And, um, you know, cricket, when I look at it, uh, as a fan, I realize that betters have a tendency to fail a lot because that's how the, the, the sport is, you know, you, it's not just smooth sailing success all the time. There's a high failure rate when you're betting. Um, and better sometimes go on a very dry spell. They're trying everything, but the runs are just not coming. And um, if you are dealing with the players directly, how do you help them overcome that, that period of, of no runs? Well, you know, I always use Carlos as an example. And, you know, as South Africans go, he, he, in recent times, he's been the best player that we've produced. And he averaged 56. And so if he averaged, if he played a match and he made less than 56, it's probably a failure for him. And so he's only going to be successful one in three innings or one in four innings. And so if that's success where you only actually going to be happy in one one in four innings what do the rest of us <laughs> you know how <laughs> difficult is, is it for the rest of us and, and sometimes you put it like that to a player and they can calm down and and sort of get a little bit more patient and say okay I, you know I'm, I'm i'm not far off the mark i've had a few low scores but i'm only one innings away from a big score but you know you've also got to look at them technically and make sure that there's nothing you know that 
that he's not falling over straight ones and getting LBW or nicking off to balls in the channel or playing too wide, you know, defensive shots too wide. So there's you've got to look at the guy technically to make sure that there's nothing that is causing him to get out. But then you've got to, you know, try and use your your sort of um, common sense about what are what are realistic, uh, you know, expectations for that player. And uh, if you use Jacques Callas's example, uh, it usually puts a player at ease to say, okay, Jacques Callas also failed, and he failed, he failed sort of three out of four times, or two, certainly two out of three times. And he was the greatest player that we've produced in recent times. Well, if I have four failures, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not far off if I can get an, a score in the next one. Um, you know, these days, um, there's a lot of talk on, on environment, dressing room environment. There's a lot of emphasis when people talk about that. And uh, one thing that always comes back to me is the fact that you can never get everyone to be friends. It's, it's, it's impossible. And mm. teammates are always going to clash or not like each other, not invite each other for bry afterwards. Yeah. But how do you keep a team functioning even in times where there is conflict between the players themselves? No, I think you're right in saying not all teams get on, you know, not all players get on. Um, but as long as everyone trusts their the you know each other that they're going to give 100% and know that they're going to fight through any situation um and have common team goals and you know and 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 sort of certain roles that they have within the team uh you know then i think you can still achieve great things you know not it's it's like a marriage you know we we mar- we marry but many marriages end up in divorce. You know, they're not all happy marriages. And yeah, we've got a team of 11 individuals trying to have a happy marriage and it doesn't work. Um, so I think we, we uh, you know, sometimes a happy team is not a high achieving team, you know, as well. Um, but it comes through, uh, you know, the high performance or high, high achieving teams come through that they trust that player will fight through any situation that, uh, you know, you'd like to go to war, you know, with this player because he's tough and he can, he can absorb pressure and he knows his role in the team and the team, all 11 players uh, will know what the goal is and what they're trying to achieve as a unit. And actually the personal, uh, the person, person, to person relationships uh, are not at the forefront of that. That's um, important. You know, you can't just be fighting all the time because that will erode uh, those other things that you're trying to achieve. But uh, you've got to sort of have a, a certain things in place that will will enable a team to achieve. And uh, <clears throat> there's also another term that gets thrown out these days: bad apples. And the assumption is that almost every team might have one within them. And how do you deal with such people 
who disrupt dressing room environment or uh, the bad apples as they call them. Yeah, you, very often those guys are the high achiever, achievers, you know, <laughs> and it's a very, it's a very, uh, it's a very fine line between having a, a bad apple who's like your best player and a bad apple that destroys, you know, the, the, the uh, important things that are in the team. And so you as a coach or a leader or a manager has got to decide, well, when does it become, when does it start destroying a team and when does it actually help a team to achieve? Because sometimes a bad apple, you know, he might have a few bad spots, but he's not rotten all, all through. And you've got to try and bring the good out of that bad apple. There might be still half of it that's edible. <laughs> and that, and uh, so you've got to try and make sure that that bad apple is not destructive, but is, uh, you know, that, but it, it, but that bad apple can maybe uh, drive the teammates through high exp- expecting high, uh, big things. But as soon as it starts destroying team culture, well, then, you know, that bad apple's probably going to have to go because no one is indispensable in a team. You know, there's no player in history that, you know, that's more important than, you know, than the rest of the team. So, you know, sort of live by that, you know, the the strength of a team is greater than the sum of its parts. And uh, and sometimes if you have one part that's, uh, you know, that's a high achiever and a bad apple, you got to you got to decide uh, how high achieving is he? Is he winning matches for us? And do we just try and manage that bad apple, or is he unmanageable? And the moment he's unmanageable, well, then he's got to go, and the team will continue. And um, these days, there's a there's a movement. I I think I will say of 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 statistical and analysts who are coming up. You know, there there is so much that people are doing with the numbers. And um, as a as a coach, uh, what is your approach to using them or not using them? Uh, we use them quite a lot. Um, so you know, I think uh, it's very important to. To know the what what are pass scores at a certain round, uh, I like to know what the first day, second day, third day, fourth day average scores are. Uh, you also like to know, um, you know what uh, what teams do in with the toss uh, in certain conditions. Um, you like to know what the averages are for spinners and seamers on certain days throughout a match. Um, so you get parameters of this is, you know, these are the stats of the ground. You know, that's the first thing about analysis. The next thing about analysis is uh, looking at the opposition and what their strengths and weaknesses are bowling and batting. And you come up with a strategy to, you know, to, to counter the strengths of an opposition and exploit the weaknesses. So you need to look at analysis and look at videos and look at recent uh, ways that the, uh, say a batsman has got out. Uh, and then you look at the bowler, what his stock ball is. 
uh, and certainly in white ball cricket is how many bounces he bowls at the end, you know, in the death overs, where does a, where does a bowler tend to go? Does he go Yorkers or does he go bounces or does he go, you know, into the pitch with cutters? So you've got to, you, you can expect because of his history, uh, you can expect a certain way that he's going to bowl at you. So you do all that preparation. I think it's very important because then you can come up with strategies to, count, you know, to counter the strengths of an opposition and exploit the weaknesses, as I've said earlier. Oh, that's great. Um, you know, as we were talking, I was thinking again, you know, from all your coaching, what stands out as the best either period or the best year or the best five years? You know, the, the one period that never leaves you that made the biggest impression on you. Um, I think, you know, I've, I've, I've coached for probably 36 years, I think. I, I don't know how long I've been coaching, but it's over 30 years. Um, and they're good times and bad times. Um, <laughs> you know, now with Hampshire, we've just been beaten terribly in the last two weeks. And two weeks ago, we just come off two big wins and a draw. And then we get beaten terribly. So, you know, that's exactly what coaching's about. You have these good times and you have the bad times. And right now I'm in a bad time. But, you know, on Thursday we go to Lords and we play Middlesex. And who knows, we might win that match and then it's a good time again. So I don't know what's the best time, but there's certain successes that have happened throughout any career and I've had them as well. But I think what's important as a coach that you don't get too carried away with your successes and not too down when you lose, which is difficult. I mean, uh, I've been down in the last two weeks because we've played terribly as a team and we've let ourselves down. And, it's, and as a coach, you take responsibility. And so it's difficult because you have these highs and lows. Uh, and I keep telling myself, don't get too low because if you do the right things, you'll win a game. And uh, hopefully... You know, you look for the next opportunity to win a match and our next opportunity is Thursday. You know, you spoke about that you were feeling down because the team did not do well. And I was thinking now, you know, cricket is one of those funny sports where it's very individual, but it's also a team sport. You know, so there needs to be sort of a balancing act. And sometimes there's that trade-off. Either the player puts the team first or the team has to put the player first maybe for a milestone or something and sometimes the player has to forego that for the benefit of the mm. team. Um, how do you handle such situations where a trade-off has to be made? Well, you, you, you again look at you know what's the most important for the team and sometimes there is a trade-off but you try and do what's best for the team all the time and not too much for the individual because it is a team sport. Although it's, it's 11 individuals and when the batsmen are, are batting, they, they're batting for themselves, but they're playing for, for, for their teammates. And the bowler is only one bowler at a time, bowling one ball at a time. So, you know, it's an individual sport at that time, but he's supported by all his teammates because he needs 
the wicket keeper and the slips and the backward point and the you know and the the different fielders to do their job to uh, to support him. So it might be him bowling, but he can't bowl without his teammates' support. And he you know a batsman can't bat without uh, you know another batsman batting with him. So uh, it it is an individual sport, but it's 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 a unique sport because you're so interdependent on each other that it becomes a team sport. And so you've got to err towards what's best for the team rather than what's best for the individual. Mm-hmm. All right. And uh, <clears throat> sport, uh, one thing that I've, I've read, I, I would like your opinion on it, is that sport mirrors society a lot. How we behave on the field is also how we are most likely to behave out there. Um, are there any lessons that we can take from sports, from watching sports, from participating in them and applying them outside of that? Well, definitely cricket's you know, one of the greatest uh, sort of teachers of life because you have, you know, you've got to work as a team. You, you know, you 11 individuals forced into a room and then you have your team talks and then you're forced onto a field and you're forced to work with each other. <laughs> and there's role playing and then there's success and failure. And then there's, you know, supporting guys when they're down. And then there's, you know, then there's accolades of one person achieving greatness when he makes a hundred. Uh, and all those things that mirrors life because our lives, it's, it's so up and down. But we also don't live our lives in isolation. We need people around us. We need our family support. You need your colleagues at work to support you. And so cricket's a great, a great teacher of life because uh, there's so many lessons that we learn from this sport. And so I'd encourage any parent to, you know, to, um, to get their children to play team sports because it's really great. It's a great uh, uh, a lesson for for later on in life, uh, and cricket is one one of the greatest uh, you know sports to mirror life. Yeah, and um, <clears throat> oh, what was I saying now? <laughs> okay, sorry, um, I just lost my my train of thought there. But okay, uh, do you also get watch other sports for for lessons for inspiration on how to work with your team and, and stuff like that. Yeah, we look at other sports and look at other teams uh, and try and get, uh, you know, good lessons that uh, other, you know, we look at, at successful teams and we try and, uh, you know, get that success uh, and, and look at how they've achieved success. And you try and you know mirror that in your team, and I think that's coaching. You look, you look at it's you look you look all around you for inspiration, and so wherever you can get that inspiration, I think is very important for you as a coach because you know I, I talk about having my coach's toolbox, and my toolbox has many tools, and only a few of those tools are my very own tools that I made. You know, there's so many stolen tools there from this coach. And he says something and I go, wow, I like that. I'll put that into my toolbox. 
And then uh, someone outside of cricket might say something or you observe something and you say, wow, I like that. And then you put it into your toolbox. And, you you know, all the time as a coach, you've got this toolbox that is, uh, you know, that, that has many tools already in, but it's never it's never a complete set. And so all the time I'm looking for new tools. And, you know, a week won't go by when I haven't put something else into that toolbox. So what I have is is on my computer uh, is, you know, A.D. Burrell's coaching toolbox. And I will then add to it when I see something. And, uh, you know, it's got batting and bowling and fielding and it's got uh, man management and it's got teamwork and it's got fitness and there, there are a whole lot of you know headings in that toolbox each with a list of tools and that I can use at any stage so I've got this toolbox which is my method of coaching and so I always encourage young coaches to start a toolbox and then every now and again you'll say oh well this situation requires that tool so I'll use that tool for this situation. And you keep adding to it. But you get those tools mainly from other people. And um, do you have any particular sport or team that you think influences you the most amongst from your collection of tools in your toolbox? Mainly other coaches. You know, I'm quite fortunate that I work with, I don't know, eight or nine coaches. That, you know, I'm the head coach, but there's a lot of other coaches. And so there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of chatter, you know, about cricket. And someone might say something, and then I'll say, "Well, I'll I'll steal that. Thank you very much." And then uh, I'm also on a whole lot of uh, different forums and learning. You know, we're learning from each other. And Gary Kirsten's a great driver of that, and he's got a whole lot of coaches on the forum, and uh, he gets guest speakers in. And so, you know, you've got to make sure that you're current and uh, and you're up to date and you learn and you read about cricket and read about sports. And and you, you that's how you learn, and that's how you, get, you, you, you generate your toolbox is by putting yourself and and it takes time outside of your work. You've got to make sure that you're current with, with certain trends and uh, it takes time for you to go. And there's lots on, on YouTube, you know, you can, you can get so much these days on the internet. It's, it's incredible, you know, that you can learn very quickly uh, from other people where in the past it had to be word of mouth and, you had to be in someone's company where now you can go onto YouTube and, and you know, um, I use YouTube a lot and, and look at certain coaches or situations or playing and motivational talks uh, and, you know, you, you learn from other people. And uh, <clears throat> what is your motivation? The your driver to wake up in the morning and do what you do every single day that you do it? Um, I'm very fortunate because really I haven't really worked a day in my life. 
because I love cricket. I probably, you know, in 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 England they call them cricket badges. Is a person that just is just fanatical about cricket, and he will know all the stats of this player. He'll know what bat that one uses. You know those guys. I was yeah. I was one of them. <laughs> I was one of those guys, and I, I was very fortunate. I was born into cricket. My dad was a coach. He was a teacher, but he coached cricket. And every breakfast, he was talking cricket to me. He was a bigger fanatic than I was. And, you know, and so my motivation is that I've been fortunate that I've, I'm doing something I love. But I've got other things in my life that is also important. You know, my family is important. Uh, my farm is important to me. I've got, I've got a farm in the Eastern Cape. And I love my cattle. You know, I've got cows. And, you know, people might laugh and think, he's a farmer. <laughs> I'm a farmer. But it's, it gives me a complete break from cricket because I think we can also get too absorbed in what we do that we don't rest our brains. And, uh, you know, and so... The motivation for me is twofold, is to have a happy life outside of cricket and, and develop something that I really love in my farming, but also to win cricket matches. You know, this is what I do. I coach cricket, and uh, I'm very fortunate to be doing what I do. And I have for a long time, and I'll continue as long as, you know, as long as that, that desire is there. And so right now the motivation is there because – I'm doing what I love doing. But it's hard, Chris. My family are in South Africa. I've got one son in Pretoria. I've got another son in Grahamstown. And my wife is on the farm. And I'm in England. And so, who knows? I might not see them for seven months. You know? And last year, while I was here, I didn't see them for seven months. And so, it's a very lonely life that we lead as, as cricket coaches. And it's not an easy life. And it's not one that you choose because I stumbled on this. You know, I didn't, I'm actually a teacher by trade. I should be at a te- teaching at a school. That's what I should be doing. But very often our, our lives take a different path. And my path was cricket. And, you know, it's been a fantastic life, but it hasn't been easy. You know, I'm, you know family-wise, it hasn't been easy. But I'm very fortunate to be where I am in my profession, which is cricket. Yeah. You know, uh, as you were speaking of, of the, the separation that you have to go through, I was now thinking of, you know, in the past year, you know, things have really sort of changed and, and cricket has now ha- have had to have biosecure bubbles and, and players have been really... Uh, taking a toll, those bubbles have been taking a toll on the players. And um, how, how do you see those bubbles going forward? Well, I, I can only hope that worldwide these, these vaccines are rolled out, uh, you know, throughout the world, because if it just stays in England and, you know, and the sort of developed countries, well, then the you know, we'll never defeat COVID. So we'll always have these bubbles. And, the bu- you know, living in a bubble is very, it's, it's very isolated. 
and very lonely and it's it's not a normal existence and so it they are very difficult and you've heard a number of players that have have found it very difficult you know mentally uh to you know to cope with these bubbles and it's not normal and you know i can only hope that this you know the vaccines worldwide is accelerated and so we can we can you know look to a life beyond bubble because you know it's difficult living in a bubble right now cricket in in england is in a bubble you in you know i'm with my team and i can only be with my team and we go and play and there's no no one watching uh and you know there's no less pressure the pressure's still there but it's just very insular and you don't see other people and you don't socialize because i can't see other people with a fear of bringing covid into the team so you know it's a very lonely existence but it's not only cricket i think it's you know all businesses have the same you know have the same issues but it's not easy right um adi thank you very much for for sharing your time with me and and having this chat um i do hope that you have a great season ahead with hampshire thank you very much yes, i look forward to coming back to south africa and i'll be coaching gorland in the in a in a cricket season there so oh is it yeah i had missed that news oh so you are coming back in the in june july no october october oh that's when the new season starts you know for the cricket season there i'll be the the bulland coach and so you know i look forward to uh you know to working in the system there again ah looking forward to it hope uh this new structure has brought us uh, a lot of hope on the new development of the of the yeah. franchise system there i uh, thank you very much adi i really appreciate you taking your time to have a chat with me no problem chris thank you very much okay bye 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 bye